If you would take your Bibles with me, we're going to read together from Psalm 19. And as you take your Bible, don't open it quite yet. I'm going to do something a little different this morning. As we read together, I'm going to have us, I'm going to put the, the words on the screen. And it's not, a, not an attempt to, to do away with Bibles, but rather to focus our attention together for a moment on the words before us and also to think about God's word in a, in a fresh way. So let's stand together. We're going to read uh, the last portion of Psalm 19 together. Uh, Responsively, I'm going to read a portion and have you read it along with me. And uh, the underlined portions are there for you to read as we go. So we'll start in verse 7 of Psalm 19. I'll read the first part. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart Be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Before you sit, let's pray together. Father, we love you, and we are are people who are in need of, of you to speak to us this morning. And so I pray that you would help me to speak clearly your word, and that as we leave this place, we would we would treasure your word more than ever before, and that it would change our lives, help us to walk in obedience to you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as you're seated, you could, you could grab your Bible if you haven't already, and if you're like me, maybe you prefer to look at your Bible on a device or a, or a tablet, things like that, but maybe you have a paper Bible as well, and that is okay. This is not a place of judgment for you, as you'd use a paper Bible. There's blessing and advantages to both, both of those, technology and paper, in fact, uh, there, there is something special about holding a paper and leather or fake leather Bible. This week I, I pulled out a Bible of mine that I've had for years. I was given this in, in junior high by my Bible quizzing coach that memorized scripture and, and uh, King James Version Ryrie Study Bible. And as I was scrolling through it and looking through the pages, I, I came across many notes and highlights from sermons. I, I found bulletins from church bulletins from 17 years ago and I found notes from Jana during services as as we weren't really paying attention and um and I found uh names and addresses of of high school students that when I went on a mission trip to Brazil had written their addresses in there for me to know um I even I even found the uh the autograph of the of the author of this book Charles Ryrie signed the bible for me, and so it, it makes it a very special book. But but those are the types of things that don't make it a treasure. What makes it a treasure is that it, it holds the truth of God's word. 
the power that it contains. And so if you have your Bible, I just want you for a moment, whether it's paper or whether it's electronic, I just want you to hold it for a moment and maybe hold it very dearly and, and think about the treasure that you have. Now, for some of us, that's easy. We pick up our iPhone and say, oh, my treasure, right? I hold it dearly. But I, when I think of it in the context of, of God's word, do we treasure it? Do we think about it and the power that it has to change and transform our lives? When you think about the Bible, what comes to your mind? What kinds of thoughts do you have about God's word? What kinds of influences have you had in your life, even maybe at an early age, that were shaped by your view of the Bible? How often do you think about God's word? Or maybe to press the point further, what do you feel about this book? When you think of it, what comes to your mind by way of feeling? Oftentimes we struggle know what to do with the Bible. We know that we open it on Sundays. We, we're supposed to read it every day. Sometimes reading it for an hour a day would seem exhausting. Or maybe even this year you, you set out with that New Year resolution to buy the bookmark or buy the read, reading plan for your Bible and, and 30 days later you're already beaten up by a schedule and have thrown in the towel again. Or maybe you, you hear in, in Sunday school or your care groups or other gatherings that you are in where they talk about the wonderful times that they've had in God's Word and how they've just been so refreshed by what God's teaching them. But for you, it seems to fall flat. You know that you're supposed to love this book. You've been taught that you're supposed to love the book, but something for you has failed to connect. <clears throat> I think back when I was a child, I... A young child, if you think of me as a young child, there's a five-year-old that usually runs around the hallways after service. That's me, basically, uh, a few years ago. And uh, when I was about his age, and it came to Sunday mornings during church, I would love to sing the hymns. That was my favorite part of the services. Opening up the hymnals, feeling and singing the melodies, and hearing my sister and my dad try to sing a... My sister singing the soprano, my dad trying to sing a bass line, and uh, just feeling the, the songs of truth that we would sing. Some of them we sang um, even over the recent weeks. Come now, fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing your praise. How great thou art, then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. Thinking of the, the richness of those songs. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, we sung this morning. Those songs I look back and thought of how much I loved those, it was, it was an emotional experience for me as a five-year-old, loving to sing, feeling the joy in my heart as I would sing it out. I would connect deeply with the words and the music that we would sing, with the truth that was being proclaimed. I even can recall the older people in our church, I would love to just watch them sing with joy. I wrote their names down, Miss Eichels, Mrs. Flaska, Mr. Ross, even my own growing up pastor, Dr. Chip Chase, to watch them Joyfully sing God's word. Joyfully sing truths set to music. I remember loving to sing the hymn, Love Lifted Me, just to watch my pastor raise up when he sang the chorus of Love Lifted Me. But typically, and maybe what's common for you as well, is after the singing would end, we would sit down and we would open our Bibles and I would, and I would lose a sense of connectivity emotionally. It seemed like to me that a time for feeling was over and, and now we're going to think and we're going to 
think for a long time, and, and because the sermons are so long, and they, there's just so much talking going on, and, and maybe it was, I was just not smart enough at that point, mature enough to understand or to, to be able to keep up, to understand what was happening. So maybe you've had a, a similar experience. Or maybe it's, maybe it's the flip side. Maybe you are, you come and you say, oh, it's 9 o'clock, I'll stay out for 8 more minutes. The preaching's not happening yet. And so you, you kind of think of the opposite, where you're, you don't see the emotional treasure for God's word through our services. The treasure, singing about it, proclaiming its truth, encouraging one another. This morning, I want us to think about what the Bible has to say about itself. We're going to look at Psalm chapter 119. That's not a typo, even though we read chapter 19. Psalm 119. And so if you haven't already, open your Bible to that wonderful chapter. And if you do recall, Psalm 119 is one of, well, it's one of the longer psalms, but it is the longest chapter in the Bible, 176 verses. And as you're turning there or about there, just to note what Psalm 119 is, it's a love song to God that the psalmist is, is marveling, reveling over the goodness that God reveals about himself in his word, in his perfect law. It isn't meant to beat us up or to shame us, but rather to encourage us, to provoke us into believing, into trusting, into experiencing exactly what the psalmist experienced. So let's, as we, before we jump into the text, let's look first at the very first word that you see. The first word is a Hebrew word, aleph. And aleph is a Hebrew word. It's a part of the, it's a Hebrew letter, part of the alphabet. And I think it's important for us to know what's happening here as this is poetry. It's a poem. The psalmist is writing this as an acrostic. So as you were to scroll through the whole chapter, you would find that there's, there's 22 different headings, every letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And there's eight verses in each one of those sections starting with the letters. So for example, verse 1 to 8 starts with Aleph. Starting in verse 9 is the word Beth in the next Hebrew letter. So if we read Hebrew, which I don't believe anyone here does, maybe we have some seminarians that do, but if we did, we would see that it's, it's a, a pattern of thinking of poetry of how that works together. And so the psalmist is using that to write this love song, to write this poem filled with love. There's 176 verses in the psalm and it's the same length as the book of Ruth. Or it's the same length as the book of Philippians or the book of James. And so what that means this morning, maybe for you, is that this is the longest chapter and the longest book in your Bible, which will also produce the longest sermon that you've ever heard. So buckle up. It won't. It's very long. It uses language you don't understand. It's easy to feel beat up by this chapter very quickly. I, I, make a, I try to make it a consistent habit of reading five psalms a day. So within, a, within 30 days of the month, I'll be able to read through all the psalms every month. And I, I know that the 24th day of every month, oh, Psalm 119 is today. I, I don't look forward, I shouldn't say that. It's, it's challenging to look at reading that many verses in one sitting when again, you, you'd rather be doing other things or it's not your, your focus or you're not treasuring God's word as you should. And so I'm afraid that if we stop right there at the length of the psalm or all that entails, that we will fall short of what God want, wants us 
to see here in this psalm. My goal today is that we would understand what the psalm is saying to us and it would take time to do that. That we would know what God would want us to know from this psalm. That we would think what he would want us to think about his word. Feel what he would want us to feel about the word of God. And then what we want us to do because of that. We sang about it earlier. The greatest commandment in the Bible comes from Deuteronomy 6.5. It says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. It's paraphrased differently to include strength as well. These are very helpful, thoughtful containers for us as we think about looking at Psalm 119 this morning. And so we'll consider three ways to find joy in God's Word. Three ways to, to treasure the book. They are to think rightly about God and His Word, feel deeply about God's Word, and number three, walk joyfully in obedience to God's Word. My desire for us is that we would, as we hold up this book, as we would leave today carrying with us a treasure, we would feel differently about it. That we would think differently about what it contains and that we would respond differently to its power in our lives. So the first thing that we'll do as we're, our Bibles are open as we'll look at it together is, is we'll look at the first point. Think rightly about God's word. The psalmist commands us, invites us to think rightly. Looking at verses 1, th- one through 8, I'm going to read those to you. And as I do, listen to how he describes what it looks like to think rightly about the Bible. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart. When I learn your righteous rules, I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. What the psalmist is doing here is he's, he's meditating at length. He's thinking with great intentionality on what is known as the law of God. There's actually eight different words that are used in Psalm 119, to convey the same thing. We just heard them. The law, testimonies, ways, precepts, commandments, statutes, rules. It might seem redundant or maybe even circular, but it's not. There's intentionality to what it's saying. We're going to, read to, con- we're going to continue reading in verse 9, and as we do, I-, I know what you're already thinking. Are we going to go all the way to the end? No, we're not. But for now, let's look at verse 9. And as we do, just let me say that what we're doing here as we, as we look at this text is we're, we're almost holding up God's word as, as a diamond, if you will. And as we turn it a little bit, as, as the psalmist does, we're seeing God's word, the colors and hues coming through in a different way through that diamond. Verse 9, how can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it? according to your word. So there it is. The word of God. It's any spoken revelation that comes from God's mouth. Verse 10. With my whole heart I will seek you. 
Let me not wander from your commandments. As he turns just a little bit and he sees God's commandments, those things that, that God has told him to do, the things that he's commanded. Verse 11 and 12, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. He turns it a little more. Statutes are words that have come from God's mouth that he writes down. I was reading with, with Jacob recently, and he came across that word and asked if that was the Statue of Liberty. I said, nope, it's a statute, not a statue. God inscribing his word. Verse 13, with my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. Rules, there's the word we love. I asked Madeline, my three-year-old, what a rule is, and she told me it's to obey mommy and daddy. So even young children know what, know what rules are. But here they are not being described as, as burdensome, but rather as something in which the psalmist delights, praising God for, for rules, things that he has commanded us to do. Verse 14, in the ways of your testimonies, your testimonies, he's not testifying of us, he's testifying of his own name, of his own glory. Verse 15, I will meditate on your precepts. You see, he continues to turn this diamond of God's word. Your precepts. The word precept is only used in the Psalms and primarily is referring to his covenant, his promise. I will meditate on your promises and fix my eyes on your ways. Verse 16, I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. The psalmist wants us to think rightly about the word of God. He's talking to himself. He's instructing himself of how to think rightly. He keeps talking about it. He keeps talking about it, laying it forth, talking about its goodness, its rightness, its effectiveness, its purposefulness in the life of someone who desires to follow God. He wants us to see above all things that God's word is true. The sermon is not going to be a sermon on on canonization, how we got the Bible that we hold in our hands, nor is it going to be a, a defense on inerrancy of God's word, everything that God's word speaks is true. We're going to walk with assumptions right now as the psalmist did. He's not defending those things because he had no need to. He understood that God's word was true, that God's word had what was needed for him to think rightly. Because God has spoken, he rightly believes in it. I'd like for you to think with me of two ways that oftentimes this text is looked at, or even more broadly, God's word is viewed. This one view is that we place ourselves over God's word as its authority. And this is what our culture does. We place ourselves over God's word. We hold the ultimate word and God's word submits to us. And where it does not, God's word must be false because surely we say things more true than an ancient book. Or perhaps a more dangerous way to view this way is that people, that people would take is when looking at this text is that they would view God's word and I are on the same platform. 
God's word holds truth, and I hold truth. And so what God's word does not see going on, or what God's word does not speak into clearly, and you fill in the blank, whether it's biblical marriage or think of political issues going on socially today, you fill in the blank. What they don't speak into or how we should walk through those things, then God's word must not be true. My word is true. I must be right. This is one view of God's word. We are over it. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on it he meditates day and night. So there's a second view, a second way to view this this text, and that is that we hold God's word as our authority. We position ourselves under what it says. The Bible calls this the way of wisdom. For us as a church, this is a high value, a high purpose, the authority of the scriptures. We desire to be people of God's word We say that God has the first and the last word of all matters of our faith, of our life, and of our patience, of our practice. Pardon me, I misread that. This is who we are. We want to be a people who think rightly about God's word. And it's not just so that we can be right. Righteousness is not our goal. Knowing God is our goal. We worship the revealing God who made himself known and available And so the reason that we want to know this book is so that we could know him intimately. The reason we want to meditate on his word is so that we can believe its rightness and that it would ultimately lead us to worship him. These are God's words. So why do you read God's word? Why do you study this book? Maybe you've not answered that question or maybe you do it because it's what you're supposed to do. We're told that we're supposed to do those things. But there's much more going on here. It's an invitation, as the psalmist says, to come, taste and see the goodness of God written in Scripture. Come and and find life. Come, think rightly. Walk in the way of wisdom so that you may have life. Look at verse 1 and 2. It says, Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. What does blessed mean? It means happy, joyful. Happy are the people who walk in the law of the Lord, who meditate on it, who seek it with their whole heart. Happiness comes in taking God at his word, building our very lives upon the word of God. Believing that it's not irrelevant to us. It's not for some things, but not for others. But to recognize that this book is what sustains us. It's what nourishes our soul. So my prayer is that God would be gracious to us in helping us to think rightly about his word. Verse 18. This is a great verse to highlight, underline, memorize as I conclude this point. It says, Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Right thinking leads to wonder, marvel, and amazement at God's word and work in our lives. May verse 18 shape the way that we all 
see Scripture. My first encouragement to us as God's people is that we would first think rightly about His Word. Our second point before us as we look at the text is to not only think rightly, but also to feel deeply. Feel deeply about God's Word. Look with me at verses 129 to 136. And as we read that together, I want you to listen to the emotion, the passion that the psalmist has towards this book. His thinking is, isn't just staying at a, at a cognitive knowledge level, but it, it's dropped into his soul. It's, a, it's affected the way he feels about God, the way he feels about God's word. Listen to what he says. Verse, or verse 129, your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. Now listen to these words. Open my mouth. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. Turn to me and be gracious to me as is your way with those who love your name. Keep steady my steps according to your promise and let no iniquity get dominion over me. Redeem me from man's oppression that I may keep your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. The Psalms are, are never embarrassed about emotion. You never wonder what the psalmist is feeling as he writes the words. Our God is not embarrassed about emotion. He has, in fact, wired us as emotional beings. I mean, look at what the psalmist says. This is wonderful. It is wonderful to know your word. It's not labor. He says, I open my mouth and I pant. I, I long for your word. And when people don't listen to your word, when people don't walk in it, it ruins me. My eyes shed streams of tears because I want people to see your word, he writes. I want people to love your word. This is what the psalmist wants us to see. It's what he's feeling. It's possible to read God's word every day without fail. To memorize verses and chapters of Scripture at a time, even to come every Sunday morning and open your Bible and even go to Sunday school and be part of a care group. But it's also possible to do all of those things and still not love God's Word. We could be completely right on paper and completely wrong in our heart. I know that this is true because I've been there. I've, I've memorized God's Word. I've attended faithfully and read my Bible every day and not allowed it to change the way I feel about who God is, not allowed it to, to shape the way I think and feel about God's Word, finding joy in my life. I'm not making it up. We're quick to become like Pharisees, to know it and not apply it. We desire to be a church that loves doctrine, and we should we desire to worship God rightly, and as we worship God rightly, we understand that it is not just with, with clear doctrine. It's not just with fancy statements of faith that we create. 
It's with the heart of people that long and pant after God. Those who love him, those who are are led by him. John Piper has said, if we just know God in our minds, we aren't doing anything different than the devil. The devil is one of the most orthodox theological beings in the universe. He just hates what he knows about God. Do you delight in God's word? Do you see in the text the psalmist's invitation to come and and delight in the very words of God? I would suggest that the primary emotion in this psalm is delight, joy. Maybe that makes you a little uncomfortable or awkward as we think about it affecting our soul and how we feel and respond. Well, now emotion is something that we have to hide or we have to keep in check or, or emotion is, is meant to humble you. Emotion is, is something that oftentimes can ruin you to make you low so that God's word can be seen as, as prominent, as, as preeminent, the central thing, the final word on all matters. We humble ourselves under it and we feel deeply toward it. That's what the Psalms should do. That's what God's word should do as we think about it, as we meditate on its truth that it contains for us. This week, I, as I was, I was thinking about that reality of, of how am I treasuring God's word in my own life, I came across a, a ministry that put together a video, and many different ministries do Bible translation and and uh, taking the Bible into languages of, of countries and people groups that don't have God's word in their language. And I came across a video this week of a people group that was receiving God's word for the first time. And it, it was so moving to me, again, as I, as I was wrestling with the reality of how am I doing in treasuring God's word, feeling deeply about the book that God has given to us, revealing all that we need to know about him. And as I, as I watched this video with that in my mind, it was, it was very moving for me to think about that. I'll, I'll describe it a little bit here, but I'd just like to show you an excerpt to give you a glimpse of what it looks like for someone to receive God's word in physical form and, and what it means for them, how they treasure the gift that they have. So I'm going to ask if we'd watch a video just Briefly. Nanny, 
The video, the video was longer. It was about five and a half minutes long, and I, I debated whether showing the whole thing or not. But at the beginning, the, the pastor there just gives a testimony of the challenges that he faced as a pastor trying to teach not having the Word of God. And after, after the video, it goes on, and it begins to interview different people. And one, one gal lady who, who shares testimony, she, is, she was younger, and she was sharing about how she was thinking of uh, how many generations were going to be radically changed because God's word came to their, their people group. How they're going to pass along the word of God to their children, to their children's children. As I, as I watched that video of, of the lives that were changed, of, of the singing and the dancing, the, the celebrating of the receiving of the New Testament that we have in excess. As I said at the beginning, I had to pull this Bible out with 17-year-old bulletins in it to make a point. I was, I was convicted by that. I want us to feel deeply about this book. I want us to treasure the promises, the, the life that it contains for us. So do you love God's word this morning? Do you treasure its truth? May we be a, a people that feel deeply about this book. May we feel deeply about God's word. So we need to be a people that, that think rightly about the book, God and his word. We need to, to feel deeply, treasure it in our lives. And that brings us to our third point. As we do those things that we would desire to be a people who walk joyfully in obedience as we delight in God's word. We're going to look at verses 32 to 40. 32 to 40. I think the key here to verses 33 to 40, the rest of the text, is right in verse 32. It says, I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. Now maybe that verse sounds familiar to you. One of our pastors has that keep running with that reference on that. And I'm sure everyone in here has received an email from that person. So if you haven't, raise your hand. I'll make sure you, you get one because he loves to send emails. Uh, the phrase literally means that my heart is getting bigger because it can't contain the love that it contains. The heart is being enlarged. And when this happens, walking in obedience is no longer something that we complain about. Or kick at. It's something that we do out of, out of our love for God. So the psalmist here is 
almost asking for God to enlarge his heart. Give me a heart that overflows with love for you so that I could run in the way of your commandments. Where does the work begin? It's God, right? God does the work. We think rightly, we feel deeply, we try to walk in joyful obedience, but it is God who does the work in us. He is the cause of our thinking rightly. He is the cause of our feeling deeply. He's the cause of any amount of growth in godliness that we experience in our lives. Why is that? So there's no room for boasting. It's all the grace of God. So listen to this prayer of verse 33. The supplication in this psalm of what obedience looks like. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things. And give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Prayer, 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 prayer. Do this, do this. And then it concludes, verse 40. Behold, I long for your precepts. See, God has enlarged his heart. God has inclined, God has taught, God has given, God has led, God has helped to turn his eyes from worthless things. God has confirmed, God has turned away the reproach that he has dreaded. And because of all these things, he has found life in the word of God. You see that rhythm there? This is what God is doing God reveals, we respond. God reveals, we respond. It doesn't sound like a lot of labor is needed here for the psalmist to turn away from sin. You would think he must have a simple life. But if you look at the life of David, he was constantly finding himself in the worst of circumstances. How could he, how could he find himself walking joyfully in obedience. It's because he tasted of God's word. He doesn't do these things to earn God's approval or to earn his salvation. The psalmist is not trying to gain some sort of a high standing or accolades from other people. He's not wanting to try to look holy. He's desiring to be holy. He doesn't want to have key verses memorized so that he can impress those in his community with his knowledge. He wants to know God. He wants to feel God working in his life. He wants to walk in obedience to his commands because they're right and because they're good and they're holy. And this is now his new desire. See what happened in verse 33 to 39 is his prayer. And in verse 40, God gives him that right desire to long for your precepts. None of us are hardwired to be this way. We are made this way by God. I pray for you that God would do this work in your soul, in your heart. That God would, would take away the things that you have an appetite for that you shouldn't. 
We all have sin in our lives that distract us, that keep us from longing after God, from feeling deeply, thinking rightly about Him. You think wrongly. We feel timidly. We obey here, we obey there for a moment of time. And then we fail because we don't see God. We don't know His Word. We don't desire to truly walk in His ways. We're a church that talks a lot about the gospel. We talk a lot about Christ, His righteousness, His sacrifice for us. We see the ultimate example, if I could even make a, an analogy here to this text, about the obedience of Christ, one who walked joyfully in obedience to God. Christ did that as he was obedient to the cross. Christ, we talk in our church a lot about Christ and his righteousness. In fact, more than our own righteousness because we in ourselves are not righteous. We talk about the holiness of Christ more than our own holiness because we are not holy and in our own holiness we cannot stand before God. These are good things because Our only hope is in Jesus' obedience. Our only hope is in Jesus' righteousness, in Jesus' holiness. And so while we we trust wholeheartedly in the work of Christ, we could run after holiness. We can run after righteousness. We can walk joyfully in obedience, not trying to gain God's approval, but because we have been given God's approval through Christ. That's joyful obedience. The psalmist is walking this out in his own life, in his cloudy view of what redemption looks like or would look like. But we have seen God in in the face of Christ. The psalmist knew the promise was coming. He knew the Messiah would come. But we, we have known the Messiah We know that his name is Jesus. We know that he lifts the burdens of our sin from our back. He obeyed perfectly for us. Each of us who have placed our faith and trust in Christ have experienced that, the work of Christ on our behalf. Christ fulfilled the law. Christ fulfills Psalm 119. Jesus, who thought rightly, It was Jesus who who felt deeply. It was Jesus who walked in perfect obedience so that when the righteous law of God crushes us with its demands, we're able to run to Christ who has fulfilled them all. It's Jesus who has done that good work. My prayer this morning for all of us is this, that as we come to God's word, that we would think rightly about God that we would hold God at his word, put our hope and our salvation in God's word alone. Secondly, that we would feel deeply the word of God. Let the words echo through our soul, affecting how we respond. Let them cause our hearts to feel humbled underneath God's perfect word. And then as we would pray those words of the psalmist in verse 33, that we would walk joyfully in obedience to God's word every day.
That's my prayer for you, and that's my prayer for myself as well. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, teach us, O Lord, the way of your statutes. And by your grace, Lord, we will keep it to the end. God, give us understanding that we may keep your law and observe it with our whole heart. Our hearts are weak, our hearts are stubborn, they're hardened oftentimes, and we, we need your spirit to soften and direct, to nudge, to provoke us. We pray that you would lead us in the path of your commandments, that we would delight in it. Father, incline our hearts to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn our eyes from looking at worthless things, things that would keep us from worshiping you, placing you in your rightful place. Give us life in your ways. Father, confirm to us your promise that you may be feared. Turn away the the reproach that we dread for your rules are good. We need you now more than ever in our lives to be the sustainer, the defender, our firm foundation, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.